All right. Well, as you may remember, uh, we just finished a very unique series that was pointed toward some of the most common questions, questions of skeptics and doubters. And so, for the sake of balance, I think it's time for us to do something very practical in the area of discipleship. In other words, we're going to look at a passage that is designed to help followers of Jesus become better followers of Jesus. In fact, we're going to dig into just eight wonderful verses of Scripture over a period of six weeks. And as we do, I'm praying that the people of this local church Our church really and truly become better believers. For the record, even as a three-and-a-half-year-old church, we do have effective tools in place to help with this very thing. Primarily, we have Go groups that you can join, as well as Bible studies through our men's and women's ministries. But if you really want to grow, if you really, really want to grow, sign up to be mentored or discipled one-on-one, so that later you can disciple somebody else one-on-one. Nothing makes us grow like trying to help others grow. Another great way to become a better believer is through ministry opportunities, both here in this church and in the community. More of those will be coming soon. Even better, to take part in a mission trip, such as our upcoming one to Nicaragua. By the way, if anyone else would like to join in and like to go, I'll give you one more week to get that deposit in. We're past the deadline, but I'm going to give you one more week. So let me know if you want to jump on board. Mission trips are discipleship on steroids. We do have opportunities, and yet I'm also aware that some of you are simply not going to take advantage of those opportunities. I'm aware of that. And so I want to spend some time for the next several weeks right here in our main gathering. Um, just providing an opportunity for you to grow. Teaching you about what can and should be happening after you believe. Again, as you can see in the title of the series, I want to see if we can't become better believers. (laughs) Now, at this point, I want to stop and ask a personal question. Do you want to get better? Do you want to grow? Or have you become complacent? That never happens in church. I'm not talking to all of you, but I'm talking to some of you. Maybe you think you don't need a church or a pastor to help you get better or to help you grow. Maybe you haven't been to church much in a while. See, many, if not most, believers today seem to think They don't need a church or a pastor or preaching from God's Word to help them grow. I've heard it a million times, especially from men. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Anyone heard that before? Well, I'm a man, and this kind of reminds me of how I feel about using the GPS or the map apps in my phone. You know what I mean? That voice. (laughs) 
that tells me where to go. I don't need it, right? Worse, sometimes we use my wife's phone for directions. And for some very strange reason, she has her phone set as if she were Australian. I'm not making this up. The voice from Christie's phone is Australian. Now, I call this voice Trevor because I only have one friend from Australia, and his name is Trevor. Incidentally, he and his wife Robin are wonderful followers of Jesus, and Robin has even been on mission with me to Nicaragua. I don't know why Trevor didn't go to Nicaragua. Maybe he was too busy recording the voiceovers for my wife's phone. I don't don't know what it was. So if we use maps from Christie's phone for directions, I hear things like, turn right, (laughs) a turn left. And sometimes I think that that Australian man who lives in her phone is dead wrong. So I ignore him. Actually, I don't just ignore him. Let's be authentic. It's a core value, right? I tell him just how wrong he is. I might even say to my wife, Trevor's an idiot. Maybe he thinks I need to turn right because he's upside down from here down there in Australia. I don't, right, right and left, left is right and right is left down there, I guess. I say no. I say no to Trevor. No. No. Maybe I even tell him to shut up. Shortly after this, you know what I hear next, right? I hear, make a U-turn straight away. (laughs) This, of course, results in me silencing the phone so that I can be wrong for a while longer in ignorance. The only real question is how lost will I need to be in order to unsilence Trevor? And how long will it take to get back on course? Some people say I have a southern accent, which is funny to me since I'm actually from the Midwest. I guess it's all relative. But you might just think of me as the annoying voice of your spiritual GPS. Now, I'm not the GPS, mind you, but I do give voice to it. Your spiritual GPS is God's Word along with the Holy Spirit. But I do preach God's Word in the Holy Spirit, which in many ways really is to give voice to God's spiritual GPS for your life. Today we start a journey as a church. We will be going to a wonderful place together. I hope I get my part right. And I hope you won't turn me off. Even though I know my directions can be annoying. Southern accent and all. So... Out of a pastor's heart that wants to help believers grow in Christ, I've chosen a passage of Scripture that I think will challenge each of us to become more like Him. It's truly my hope that through this series, we all might become better believers together. And you know, the world needs better believers. Amen? The Northwest needs better believers. This nose-diving culture that seeks to overwhelm us needs better believers. They don't need louder believers or angrier believers or more disgusted believers. No, they need better believers. In this study, we're going to find out exactly what that means. We will be focusing on the introduction of the Apostle Peter's second letter to the church. You might be surprised that I'm putting together a six-part sermon series out of only eight verses. 
But in this series, our main text will be more of an outline, and we'll be looking at many other supporting passages as well. For the record, that is actually what the apostles did when they preached generally. Now, let's start by reading the entire text. 1 Peter chapter 1, highlight it in your Bible. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 9, goes like this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's where it all begins. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins." Unpacking this passage will be our activity together for the next six weeks. I encourage you to focus on these four, on these verses in your own time with God. Read them over and over. Consider even committing this passage to memory. I believe God supernaturally changes us at the core when we meditate on His Word. The Word of God is powerful. It is powerful when it is taken in. I also believe that church is meant to be a communal experience, meaning that we're to be growing together and moving in the same direction as a body of believers, changing for the better together. Therefore, I encourage all who are committed to this church family to focus on these specific verses and pray through them over the next several weeks. You might be surprised by what God could do in our church with just eight verses. Let's start to dig into this by reading the first four verses again. And I want you to notice that this whole admonition to become better believers is set up with a paragraph about knowing Jesus better. We must never forget that Jesus is the one who changes us. He is the source of our character development. He is the one who makes us better. Let's look at the first part again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His excellence, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. First of all, notice the audience. Peter is writing to believers, to those who are in the know, those who have the knowledge of God and who, whose Lord is Jesus. 
This is very important. When we get to the radical character adjustments that we will be challenged to make through this series, we must understand that none of this is possible without first experiencing salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As it says in verse 4, these words are written to those who have already escaped the corruption that is in the world. To escape is to be rescued, to be saved. Now, we don't always feel like we've escaped from the corruption of this world, but that is usually due to our own decisions to step back into the mire from whence we came. In reality, we have escaped. We have escaped. We have been saved. We have been rescued. We have absolutely escaped through the regeneration that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The knowledge of this fact, remembering what I just said, knowing it at your core, constantly realizing who you really are in Christ, along with the reality of it, is where discipleship or spiritual growth must always start. And so the first four verses of this passage are meant to reinfuse us with the knowledge that as believers, we absolutely 100% have the power to become Christ-like people. Fellow believer, the ability to radically follow Jesus rests within you, within Christ in you. Though your enemy prefers that you continue to live defeated as if this power were not readily available. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So God has already given us everything we need to be godly. That's exactly right. At the moment of true belief, God grants us every single thing we need to live the life He intends for us, a life typified by godly or Christ-like character. Look also at verse 4 written mostly in the past tense as well, meaning it's already happened if you're saved. Peter says, God has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Again, He's already granted to us His promises. And the indication is that the more we accept the truth of those promises, even to that degree, we will become partakers of the divine nature. Excuse me? Partakers of the divine nature? That's right. And then notice again that Peter also says that we have already escaped the corruptive lust of this world. We've already been saved from the darkness that would take us back into bondage. Believers already have power over sinful desires and lust through God's divine nature, which is now available to us, a divine nature that is ours to live out whenever we choose. In other words... It is already true that through Christ, you and I have the ability, and really even the tendency of nature, to be like Christ. Now, that is hard for many of us to believe. But why? This is taught throughout the New Testament. We are born again. We have a new nature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Most of us know those verses. There's so many others. Why is it so hard to believe, to really believe 
That might be true of somebody else, but do you really believe it's true of you? The divine nature. We will grapple with the necessity of accepting our new nature in Christ throughout this series. So what have we covered so far? Really, we've looked at a preamble to the point of our text and to the entire book of 2 Peter. What we've looked at so far sets up everything else. But it's almost more of a disclaimer shared by the author in order to make sure no one misunderstands his main point. What is Peter setting up with these first four verses? He's setting up a personal challenge for you to get your rear in gear if you claim to know Jesus. He's qualifying his upcoming admonition for believers to climb out of their self-dug pits of mediocrity and sinfulness. As you'll see in the following verses, Peter's certainly not saying that any of this character development that we see just developing and developing, he's not saying that any of it is automatic or guaranteed. No, instead he's saying this, since you are a partaker of the divine nature, start acting like it. It's not automatic, folks. Dare I say that willpower is absolutely, actually required. If becoming more Christ-like were a completely automatic result of being saved, then what would be the purpose of the rest of this passage? If believers could just sit back and wait for God to zap them with Christ-likeness, what would be the point of the very next verse, which says, verse 5, Now for this very reason also, all the stuff I've been saying, now for this very reason, applying all diligence. In the original Greek, the phrase applying all diligence contains an idiom, which means to place your own diligence alongside the diligence of God. Explicitly included in this phrase is the idea of partnership with God in the work. We're being called to come alongside God, partnering with Him in the work of developing our own Christ-like character. Very simply, God wants for us to join Him in the endeavor to become better believers. He waits for our diligence to line up with His diligence. Additionally, the word diligence itself is intended to communicate both fervent and consistent efforts on our part. This is about trying hard, if I can be so blunt. And it's about trying hard consistently. Personally, I've heard a lot of pastors and spiritual gurus out there say things more along the lines of not trying hard. You know, to just let God do everything and, and stop trying so hard. And I'm sure they had a point that somebody probably needed to hear. But friends, this text tells us to try hard. Make no mistake. I love the New Living Translation of this verse. Rendering it, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort. If you don't hear another word I say today, hear this. When it comes to your spiritual growth, make every effort effort. Or as our New American Standard Version puts it, apply all diligence. The message is the same. What this means is that God expects you to give it all you've got. 
Didn't Paul talk about straining to break the, ca- the tape? There are so many passages. To dig down deep like a runner gutting out that extra mile, willing yourself not to quit, but to finish strong instead. Listen, this inspired text is nothing less than a call to apply your dead level best effort to spiritual growth, even while keeping in mind that God is the one supplying the strength and ability to get you where he wants you to go. And what exactly are we working on here again? Not our salvation, obviously. Remember, that's where this all starts. I've generically referred to what we're talking about here in the title as becoming better believers. It makes a good title. But the most accurate way to further describe what we are talking about is the effort to develop Christ-like character. This is the clear context of the passage where we will learn about character traits like moral excellence and godliness. But right now the point is that developing these traits requires two things, one of which is already supplied. God has already supplied the power. But the other requirement is often the holdup. And what is that again? Your effort, your diligence, your daily surrender to what God wants to do in your life. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you put serious effort or diligence into becoming what I'm calling a better believer? Isn't there some part of you that's sort of like, isn't God supposed to kind of take care of that along the way somehow? When's the last time you gave Christ-likeness everything you had? When have you made every effort or applied all diligence to become more like Jesus? Want to see real change in your life? Make every effort every day. And somebody says, now wait a minute, pastor. Didn't the first four verses say that we already, we've already given everything we need for life and godliness and that we've already become partakers of the divine nature? And if so, then why would any further diligence or effort be required on our part? You've asked a good question. So precisely what we need to understand. The key concept is this. In Christ, you have the ability to be Christ-like, but unless you apply yourself, that ability will remain unused in this life, which frankly would be a crying shame. If I had to list the top five concepts that I have come to understand through more than four decades of studying God's Word, one of them would probably be this. For believers, life is a divine partnership. For believers, life is a divine partnership. Christianity is a partnership between God and His people. Remember that. But if it's a partnership, what's our part? Obviously, we can't do it all. In fact, it is completely accurate to say that we cannot do anything at all apart from Christ. But listen, he does not do it all himself either. It's a partnership. God grows us by his divine power, even as we apply ourselves by making every effort to become the people he's already empowered us to be. Listen, as you and I apply all diligence to respond to what God has promised to do in us, we will experience life change. But if we ignore or neglect or even rebel against his work in our lives, we will utterly miss out, perhaps never becoming the person God had in mind on this side of eternity. See, even though God supplies the power and provides the growth in a supernatural way, most of that growth will never get out of the queue. 
until we make every effort. Apply all diligence, Peter says. To what? As you'll see, the rest of this passage challenges us to become very, very special people. Very, very special. Was Jesus special on this earth? How special was he? Did he stand out? It's a call to become very special people. Don't you want to be a special person? Some strains of Christianity almost seem to say, don't try to be special. Don't be concerned about legacy or making a difference with your life. Don't have any dreams of what you might be able to accomplish for the kingdom of God. Just forget about all your, in, your individual life and, and, and just make sure that all that matters to you is God. It's all God. Be passive. Let go. Just let things be whatever they will be because God is completely in control and your individual life doesn't really matter all that much. But friends, that borders on panentheism, which is Eastern mysticism, and as you eventually being absorbed into God and ceasing to be an individual. In Christianity's twist on this, you don't matter, only God. Like most error, this is an overreaction to some overly me-centered strain of Christianity, which would also be wrong. But folks, this text we're studying is all about becoming the amazing person that you should become as someone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as someone who the Bible says is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. This is about becoming the amazing person God wants you to be. But how many of us actually are that amazing person today? How many of us honestly have Christ-like character? Why aren't more of us at least coming close to that ideal? Two things ought to be clear from this passage. One, that becoming like Jesus is not automatic, even for one who knows Him. And two, that becoming like Jesus is possible only as we know Him better. The power to become Christ-like comes from our relationship with Christ. John 15, the vine, the branches. Yet Peter shows us that there is still also the need to apply that power, which requires diligence, effort. If we want to become better believers, we're going to need to learn to, to work hard with Jesus. And we'll need to stop expecting Him to just do it all Himself. Just as Peter said in his first letter, we are called to be holy even as God is holy. There would be no point in writing such a challenge where no personal effort required. So, as a pastor who longs to see both himself and his church truly become Christ-like, what can I really hope for out of the next six weeks? Can I really hope that some of us might become better believers from a series of sermons? Is it possible that as we make every effort to respond to the work of Christ in us, some of us might actually become more Christ-like? Friend, if I didn't believe that, I would find something else to do with my time. Yes, I'm hopeful. 
that we can become better believers through this season together. But for that to happen, you will need to accept the challenge. You will need to recognize that becoming like Christ is not automatic. You need to decide to take steps, real steps, difficult steps. You'll need to be ready to make every effort to apply all diligence to doing your part. But the really cool thing is that if you do, you can count on God to be the one who makes you a better believer. I do realize that discipleship is a lifelong journey. But sometimes we never get anywhere because we don't take the step right in front of us. And sometimes we make things too complicated. What does our text say? It says we've already been given the power. It says we have everything we need for life and godliness. And yet probably most of us would admit we're not currently walking in godliness as we should. So what is our problem? What is missing in the promised equation? Could it be that the only thing missing is our diligence, even our effort? So again, as your pastor, what can I expect out of this season together? Nothing unless you accept the challenge. If you are a believer and a regular part of this church family, I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Please, if you would be so kind, take out your listening guide. It's in the program. Open that up and consider signing the statement there. But don't sign it unless you really mean it. The statement says, I accept the challenge to apply all diligence to becoming more like Jesus. And there's a place to sign your name. But let's think about this a little bit more because I want any commitment made to be for real. Let me ask you to dream with me about what it might mean if a large number of the people who call this church home were to become even just a little bit more like Jesus. I do believe this will only have a chance to get started if some of you make a personal commitment, but the impact could become exponential if most of you decide to put extra effort into becoming better believers starting today. We will constantly revisit the fact that this all happens only through our relationship with Jesus. And yet I say again, that at least to some degree, this is up to you. He's waiting on you. God has always been ready to do his part, has he not? As believers, his power to change is already within us. All that is lacking is our diligence. What if we started doing our part? What would it mean for our church? What would it mean for our community? What if God is leading other pastors through the Holy Spirit to, to help their churches go down this kind of a road right now? What if America changed because people actually started living like Christ, the ones who claim Him as their Savior? You may have already noticed in our text that there are at least five character qualities listed, and we're going to be called to strive for these qualities, each of them also describing the character of Christ. These five Christ-like character traits are moral excellence, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and love. So are you still sure you want to sign on the dotted line? <laughs> these are some challenging characteristics, aren't they? Listen, if you're going to be serious about this, you will have real choices to make along the way. There will be things you're called on to actually change, to stop this or start that 
or do this or don't do that anymore. That's the whole point of this series, life change empowered by Christ and lived out by his people. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands, but I, um, I wonder how many of you have made some kind of commitment to follow Jesus in the first place at some point in your life? How many of you took your stand with Jesus in the waters of baptism? How many of you made some kind of personal commitment to become a follower of Christ, which, by the way, is exactly what it means to be a Christian? Have you given your life to Christ? You know who you are. Now, let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Are you really following Jesus in your life? Because just looking around at a society full of professing Christians, I'm pretty sure there are an awful lot of people who've claimed to be saved and who have been baptized even, who have not really followed Jesus any more than an atheist with a conscience. Do you really love Jesus? Are you thankful for his forgiveness? Do you really believe he was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for you? personally, that he rose again to give you eternal life. All that, and you're still undevoted to him? You really believe Jesus left heaven to do all of that for you, yet you ignore many of his commands and don't follow his example? You said you were ready to follow Jesus, but are you following him? See, it's one thing to decide to do something. It's another thing to actually do it. Oh, I've offended somebody now. Well, that means one of two things. Either the things I just said truly do not apply to you because you really are walking with Christ, and that's true of some people. We're not all in the same place. Or you are offended because the truth always stings when it means that we've been wrong. Turn Trevor off, right? That fixes it. If you're a believer, one who claims Christ as Savior and Lord, prepare to be challenged over the next several weeks. Meanwhile, if you've not yet chosen to become a follower of Christ, come along anyway. Please do. And at least listen to what Christians are supposed to be like. So if you do know Jesus, can you sign and commit to make every effort in this season to become more like Christ? But today's message was only the introduction. So you might be asking, how do I apply myself to the challenge this week? I mean, starting next Sunday, there'll be very specific ways to apply yourself. But what's the application today? Okay, here it is. Remember the first part of this passage. It all starts with knowing Jesus. Spend more time in prayer this week. Pray through and try to memorize this passage. Use this week to get ready for the more specific challenges to come. Seek the Lord and His help. Commit yourself to the process of life change, of transformation, of renewal. And spend this whole next week telling God that you embrace whatever He wants to do in your heart and life. No matter what it means. It might be big. Put your yes on the table with God this week.
before you even know everything he's going to ask. Can you do that by faith? I hope so. To that end, let's spend some time in prayer together. And since we are beginning a spiritual journey as a church today, I want to ask for many of you, I hope, to come forward for prayer. Um, Started to say you can use the front row if you can't kneel, but we filled the front row, and that's a good thing. But there are a few chairs up here. If you, if you want to come forward and you can't kneel, use a chair just to have that physical movement of commitment. And others, just find a spot anywhere. Just kneel. And let's just make this real. Let's take a step um, to say to God, I'm serious about this. You'll remember that moment. Um, and anyone who's not comfortable with that, feel free to pray where you are. But We want to show God and each other that we're committed to participating fully in what he wants to do in our lives in our church starting today. So if you would come on forward and and let's just get on our knees around here and fill, fill up this area. Let's show God that we're serious. This doesn't mean anything unless God does it. Let's pray. Father, I come to you on behalf of everyone here. This church, God, we are a church. We are a family of people. We may have guests here today. God bless them. I'm so glad they're here. But there's a a large group of us that are a family today. We are a church family and your body, a local manifestation of that. And today we want to do something together. We want to come before you in this place and say, change our hearts, God. Where have we missed it? Some of us, maybe you're self-righteous. We need, to be, we need to be crushed. We need to be broken. Some of us know we're nowhere close to hitting uh, the ball right now with our walk with you. Wherever we are, if it's somewhere in between, God, I know you have something you want to do in our lives through this season together. And right now, together as a church, many of us on our knees, we ask, Do your will in this church. Move among us. Change our hearts. Revive us. Show us where we need to confess our sin. Give us the understanding of the fact that we have the power within us in Christ to overcome, to win. We're not winning right now. Overall, it doesn't feel like as a church in America. But God, we just focus on our church right now today. We want to win for you. Whatever that means, we want to to accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives, in our community, in our world. It may be a small church compared to a couple other big churches around here. It doesn't matter, Lord. You always do great things through anybody who surrenders to your will. What do you want to do in our lives, in our church, in our community? Our yes is on the table, Lord. My yes is on the table, whatever it is, whatever it is, surrender, change us, help us see where we need to respond to what you're wanting to do in our hearts. Just continue to pray for a moment while the band plays.
Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.